This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condos Presley, and on the show today, I don't think we got a whole lot in common with some of the folks we're going to learn about today. Why, you ask? It's because our guest is the author, Dr. Ian Smith. Now, you know Ian because you've seen him on television. You've seen him on, uh, oh, come on, Ian, tell me the shows Rachel that you've been Ray, Yeah, I mean, you're everywhere. He's, he's, Fit Club. That's right, because you are a health and fitness and lifestyle expert, and you've been on the show with us before, but yes. also you are an acclaimed writer. You have written a number of bestsellers on the New York Times bestselling list, including the number ones, Shred, Super Shred, Blast the Sugar Out, and then I think we talked about your novel, The Blackbird Papers. Well, you've taken a break from the Shred series, and you are back with The Ancient Nine, and it is a number one New York Times bestseller already, with great blurbs from Michael Eric Dyson. Publishers Weekly said this, an enticing thriller. Those seeking an inside look at, at an Ivy League secret society will definitely get their money's worth. And you, Dr. Ian K. Smith, were a member of one of these Ivy League secret societies. Just set the table for us and before we get into this really, really good book, so this is something that you want to read. Um, about, First of all, yeah. kind of, thanks for always having me on. I appreciate it. You know, I have been writing this book for over 25 years. I started when I was a senior in college uh, because I knew at the time, though I was not a writer, I knew that this story was so unique and so intriguing that I wanted to share some of my experiences in one of these secret societies uh, with the world at large. It was a difficult decision actually to write this book because I didn't want to write an expose uh -huh. on these clubs. These clubs have been around since the 1700s. Um, they are called final clubs, uh, and they are Harvard's version of secret societies, and they have been populated and membered by some of the who's who in America. Both Roosevelt's, President Teddy and Franklin Roosevelt, were members of one of the final clubs. Uh, President Kennedy, his brothers Robert and, um, and Ted Kennedy were members. The great poet T.S. Eliot was a member. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was a member. So you get the picture. Very powerful, wealthy people have been members. And for a long time, these clubs uh, were basically comprised of all male, all white male, because that's what Harvard was at the time. Uh, and it wasn't really until about the 60s, uh, when women and ethnic minorities were more admitted to the university, that pressure came on these clubs to admit women and to admit uh, African-Americans and other ethnic minorities. Uh, but this book, The Ancient Nine, basically is the first book that's ever been written that extensively delves behind the walls of one of these clubs. Now, you know, I was a member um, and I was elected in a very mysterious way. Uh, the way you get, the way it begins, it's called the punch, by the way, as in like what you drink and hitting someone, they call it the punch. And the way it works is, in the middle of the night, an envelope is slipped under your door into your room. And when I looked at it, there was no postage. There was no return address, just my name and room number. And I opened it up and it said, the president and members of the Delphi Club invite you to a cocktail party. And here is the location. And I had no idea. You know, I come from a working class family in a small town. I didn't know what a cocktail party was, by the way, uh, to be honest with you. And so I just figured, you know, Harvard has so many of these 
kind of dweeby, intellectual kind of uh, social organization. I just thought it was one of those groups inviting us to, like they invite you to the symphony or the opera or whatever. So I just put it to the side. And it wasn't until I was at basketball practice a couple of days later and the guys are changing the locker room and the older guys on the team said this is punch season. Like, And they start talking about this period where these secret societies punch or invite people to begin the process of joining them. Oh, so you're not Im- immediately in if no, you get the letter. No. If you get the letter, that means you're invited to start the process. There were nine clubs, and each club typically punches about 100 guys. And then you go through, and the book you know, you know, details this, then you go through a series of events where after each event, the membership holds a meeting, and they narrow down the list. So 100 guys start, 75, 50, and then between 12 and 20 guys will actually get to the final dinner, which is the election of being into the club. This sounds a lot like sorority and fraternity rush at most colleges and universities around the United States. People have asked me, what's the difference between a final club at Harvard and a sorority or fraternity? These clubs have a more formal kind of angle to them. Uh, They're housed in these multi-million dollar mansions uh, that are in Harvard Square, in and around campus. They are owned only by the graduate members and the board. So the university doesn't own these clubs. And this, the reason why I mention that is because these clubs have had come under great fire and the university has, has, has had problems with them because it can't control the clubs. So the university has tried year after year to put pressure to either disband the clubs or open up the clubs. In fact, last year, they've gone the furthest ever. The administration said that members of clubs cannot hold offices in student government. They will not get recommendations for scholarships like the Fulbright or the Rhodes. And they also cannot be captains on varsity sporting teams. So this is the most they can do to try to pressure clubs to open up or disband. And you say open up, meaning what? Well, the belief is that more minorities uh, should join clubs. Women should be allowed to be in clubs. And also people from different socioeconomic strata. So right now, for years, it's been the elite of the elite. For example, J.P. Morgan Jr. founded my club the J.P. Morgan Jr. Uh, and so the names of the members who, you know, have been in these clubs and who still run these clubs are the who's who. And so the university says these clubs need to open up or disband. And to that end, if they don't open up and they don't disband, then the members of these clubs cannot hold other leadership positions at Harvard. That's right. So now are you in any sort of trouble for writing this book? <laughs> Granted, this is a novel that takes us behind the scenes, but you have definite firsthand knowledge of what this experience is. So I say in the beginning, based on real events, because it is my experience. And so will I get in trouble? I mean, you know, every member takes an oath. Um, and I wrote it in a fictional manner so that I could not necessarily be specific about everything, but there are a lot of things in the book that are actually true. This is my feeling. My feeling is that at some point, someone's going to tell this story. I've been wanting to tell this story for 20 plus years. And I said to my publisher, you know, let's just go ahead and tell it. You know, it's a fun story, by the way. It's not it's not an expose on the club, but it's fun. I mean, it's it, it deals with two of Harvard's most important books. One book was in the private library of King James I, and it has two missing pages in it. And scholars for decades have been trying to figure out where are those pages and what was written on those pages. The other book is the last remaining book from John Harvard's donation, his collection to Harvard. All the other books burned in a fire in the 1700s, and only one remained because a student hadn't returned it back to the library. 
So these two books, as well as The Disappearance of a Student Trying to Break into One of These Mansions in the 1920s, is the centerpiece of this mystery. Tell us, what can you tell us about the story, and what can you tell us about the title, The Ancient Nine? So The Ancient Nine um, is a group. These men who comprise The Ancient Nine have formed a secret society within the secret society. So even the members of the Delphi Club, which I was a member of, even the members don't know the true identities of who these nine guys are. But these nine guys are protecting the secrets that are buried in the walls of the club. Um, and I won't say what these secrets are, but I will say to you that for years, students have tried to break into these clubs because they are believed to hold valuable treasures and artifacts. And so these clubs are heavily alarmed, cameras all over the place, and fortified because people have... Now, in my club, Matt Damon is a member. So Matt Damon, the actor, uh, came in after me. And in the fact, guy Jimmy Kimmel has no time for? Yeah, exactly. That guy. That guy. Right. Um, so Matt was a member. And a quick story. When you have, we have, hold events, very formal events, black tie events. You ask what's the difference between a frat and a club. We hold dinners there. We, our mansions have servants. They have ballrooms, lunchrooms. So when we hold these big dinners and all the alums come back in black ties, smoking cigars, we actually have posters that have been drawn to commemorate that particular event, and we all sign it. We autograph it with our years. And so Matt Damon, of course, was a member, so he autographed you know, one of the posters. And then Matt Damon became Matt Damon, and someone broke in and stole his poster that he had signed. And so after that, you know, you know, security, of course, was ramped up. But for years, students have tried to break into these clubs for all kinds of reasons because of these treasures. So the secrets, especially in your club, if you're a member of this secret society, you know what the secrets are, right? If you're a member, of the, you, you know those secrets, but the secrets of the ancient nine you don't know. There's a group of men, a, a, there's a group that's really controlling things behind the scenes that you don't know. And these are real people today who hold these secrets, who are titans of industry or in government and they've all emerged out of one of these final clubs like the one that you belong to at Harvard? Well, what's interesting and what's unfair, and I think a big, one of the big reasons why women should be allowed to join these clubs is that when you join these clubs, you have access to a tremendously powerful network. Mm -hmm. You can contact CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, partners in law firms, anybody, because if because if they're in the club directory and you call them and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, class of so-and-so, then, oh, yeah, they'll take the call, put them through. You know? And if you know, other students, unfortunately, don't have that access. So I personally believe that clubs should be more open, even though I had a great experience um, and it was fun and some of the brothers are still my friends, a lot of them are. But I think that you know, women should be allowed to join, more minorities should be allowed to join. Um, and it's a, it's a tussle right now on campus. And it has been, by the way, for hundreds of years um, how do you get these clubs to understand that it's better that they open up? And there are a lot of, a lot of guys who don't want them open, and they and they fight it. And um, you know, so there were no women in your club. There were no women in my club. But right now, as we speak, there is a huge debate going on within my club and others about finally admitting women. How many African American men were or are in your club? When I was in the club, there were four of us. Wow. Out of about a hundred guys, maybe. Four or five of us, you know, uh, which is not a lot. You know, I was in the club in the 80s. Uh, but the first guy, I think, got in about 76. Because 
we have all the portraits on our walls of the classes. And I went and found that first guy that got in. He had this big afro, by the way. <laughs> and I, I always wanted to and meet And you this. contacted him, too. Well, no, I wish I, I, I always wanted to meet this guy. I never was able to get a, find him. You know, I was just a, a teenager. I didn't, you know, and we didn't have internet, by the way, then. Oh. So we didn't have all the tools to be able to, you know. But I always wanted to know who that guy was, you know. But, uh, but it's interesting. I, I, you know, and people ask me, did you experience racism? Not, not a bit. I, mean, I guess at that level, you don't. There was none whatsoever. I didn't feel it. And I'm, and I'm very sensitive. I grew up, you know, my grandfather's from the South, so I'm very well aware of, you know, racial situations and never experienced it. But the main character in the book, Spencer Collins, is actually me, um, you know, the son of a single mom uh, who struggles. And, you know, I had, like I said, I had no idea what these clubs were, what they were about, and someone just decided to invite me to be a member. And to this day, I don't know why. Like, why me? Because I don't... I'm everything you're not. You know, I don't have a legacy. I don't have a name, didn't have money, no connections, but I got to admit it. And how had that, how has that experience benefited you as an alum? I think that being in that club opened up my eyes to a larger world and to the power of connections. Um, you know, the, I, I say in the book that the character goes to this big cocktail party at one of the alum's house. And it's the first time he's hearing kids his age talk about taking their father's plane to the Bahamas for the weekend. First of all, I didn't know that there were private planes. (laughs) And these kids are saying, yeah, dad's not using his plane this weekend. Let's go to the Bahamas. This is how these people live. Um, And so it was my first experience uh, of experiencing this. And I think that it it opened my eyes that there's a whole world out there of connections that you don't know about. And that you should be aware of. You may not be able to join that world, but you should know that it exists. And, you know, the playing field is not always level for all kinds of reasons. And you should just be aware of that. So walk us through the story that you're telling in The Ancient Nine. In 1927, two kids are trying to break into the Delphic Mansion on Halloween night. One kid gets in and disappears. Fast forward to the 80s when I was there, uh, this young black student is mysteriously punched or invited to begin the process of joining this club. And his best friend, ironically, is a legacy. His best friend is a white guy who's a Boston Brahmin, whose family has been at Harvard for three generations, who is irreverent. He will not join one of these clubs just to spite his father. He does not like his father. His father is very upper crust, and he wants to be everything that his father is not. So you have this black kid who comes from nothing who's being invited mysteriously to join this club, And you have his best friend, who's this white guy who knows all about these clubs because of his family, but refuses to join in. But what the white guy does know, his name is Dalton. What Dalton does know is that the Ancient Nine has been rumored to exist for a long time. And even he is curious to see if it exists. So the two of them work to discover who the Ancient Nine is and what is the secret that they are trying to hide. Mm, That's very intriguing and a very... Very strong tease. So uh, how long before, I mean, we've seen we've seen similar types of stories, the skulls, dear yep. white people that social have. Social network. Yeah, social network that have, of course, um, explored these final clubs. You think this is going to, you know, be able to option this one out? Guess Make what? this a. Oh. I just got an offer. See, I love making news the, on the show. The book has been out uh, for less than a week and a big time producer has already asked to option it to make it into a movie. Now, I mean, you know, you never know what happens, but I'm honored that he felt the story was so compelling that he said, 
cinematography, you know, from a cinematic standpoint, he could see it on the screen. Well, so when you talk about see. these multi-million dollar mansions and hidden spaces and dark places and secret societies, all guys, and, and you can figure, I can see the conflict in, in there, and, and I'm sure there's conflict in your story. What's the, 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 do you tease us with the twist? The character is conflicted. To be a guy from the other side of the tracks to join this world, he also feels guilty. So there's also that level. And there's a little love story in there. Of course. Which, is, which I love. He falls in love with uh, a very beautiful girl who works in the dining hall, who doesn't want to have anything to do with him because he's a Harvard guy. And he has, <laughs> he has to try to win her over. Ah. See, there you go. All the elements are there. So what did you learn about yourself after finishing The Ancient Nine? Well, I've always been writing fiction. Um since the Blackbird Papers back in 2004. It's just that my diet books and health books have been so successful, and I'm grateful. I, I don't want to sound ungrateful about that, but the problem with that success is that your publisher wants you to write more of them, right? So um, so for years I've been saying to my publisher, we got to publish The Ancient Nine. This is a great story. It's got to get out. No one's written like this with, about these clubs. Um, and so what I learned about myself is that um, I have to continue to be tenacious and persistent um, and I have to continue to follow my dreams and passion. I'm passionate about fiction. I love fiction. And I can do both. I can do nonfiction and fiction. Like, you don't have to be right side or left side. You can be dual-sided. Absolutely. In case you're just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Ian Smith, Dr. Ian K. Smith. Again, you know him from The Shred and Super Shred. You've seen him on television, on Rachel Ray, The View, and other shows. His new book, out just more than a week, is a novel, The Ancient Nine, about the final clubs, the secret societies in America's Ivy League schools, written as fiction, but as a member of one of these final clubs, you've got a little behind-the-scenes experience. Were you conflicted in your experience back in the 80s with, once you were punched and got to the process where you say yes or no, does anybody ever actually say no? Rarely, because you go through the whole process to get in. And what I thought... What, what bothered me mostly at the time was I didn't want to be the kind of member that came from a group that typically doesn't get in and then forget that everyone else is still on the outside. It's easy, by the way, when, when you come from a group that is typically not allowed or excluded and you happen to pass through the doors in anything, this is not just these clubs, but it's easy to get through those doors and be like, oh, I made it, everything's great with the world. But it's not because look who you left behind. And so I was conflicted, uh, you know, as a student because I was friends with all kinds of people, all different levels of income and, and race and religion. So I was conflicted that, you know, what does it say about me that I'm joining this, this club? And that's part of the reason why I wrote this story is because I felt like I should tell this story um, and, and have it get out there. Not, by the way, to punish my club. I had a great experience. But just to say this world exists and maybe these doors should be open to more people. But right now they're not. Do you think they ever will? Yes, I think they have to. I think that the younger generation, the younger generation is taking over these clubs and the graduate members are are younger now that the young. And I think that eventually they're going to have to vote women in and they're going to have to vote more diversity. And they should. I mean, it's, this is the world we live in. And I think these clubs, as interesting as they are, are anachronisms. They're from a, an era gone by and they should open up. The question the question also is whether or not women want to be in these clubs. You know, that's another question you have to ask. They should still have the right to, but I don't think everyone wants to join these clubs. 
you know, because guys are being guys. And there's certain things that college guys do that nobody needs to know about. Yeah, and women are probably they're not interested in. But I do think that women and other people don't don't get in. They do miss out on that that networking. They really do uh, because we have dinners when the alums come back for dinners. We're rubbing shoulders with people who are running the running the country. Which brings us to a current event, Brett Kavanaugh. Now, Brett Kavanaugh didn't go to Harvard, but he did go to Yale, where likely a member of one of these secret societies, these final clubs, who end up, as you say, leaders in the country and in, in industry. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, I think that, you know, uh, Bush was a member, too, a uh, father. Uh, Bush won. He was a member of, of, of the Skull and Bones. And so Yale also has these societies. Uh, Princeton has eating clubs. They used to be secret societies, but they actually voted to go co-ed so women can go into the Princeton clubs. But, you know, these secret societies, these clubs are relics. You know, they are of a time when um, it was believed that exclusivity was the way to remain on top. Okay, And um, there was a lot of inbreeding in the sense of we went to Exeter together. We went to Deerfield all these places that the average person doesn't even know exist, by the way, all these prep schools. Or or I would I, I say, like, you know, it's the first time I learned that you could use winter as a verb. You know, we winter in Florida. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yes. so this is the this is the lot that you're talking about. And and um I think that, you know, I don't know Kavanaugh obviously personally, but I but when I see him though, my first thought when I saw him and I heard he went to Yale I could see him being in one of their secret societies. I just because these secret societies actually produce and breed people who attain very lofty positions. What are your obligations to the club as an alum? Well, it's pretty much, you know, it's elective. So there are some members who, grad members who are very involved. There are some who are occasionally involved and there's some who never get involved again. And, and the way you get involved is you donate. Like I said, these clubs are owned by the clubs, not the university. They're self-funded. Um, so you raise money, um, you host in the book, Spencer Collins, the young character, he goes to a series of events. And one of them is a New York dinner where they fly them down to New York for dinner. And so an alum will host a dinner like that. So it's so the alums stay involved in different ways. How do you think your life would be different had you not been punched into your final club? I, I think my life actually would have been the same, to be honest with you. But I think that the things I learned and observed in the final clubs uh, were able to broaden my horizons. And it gave me a better understanding of the nuances of differences and, and where we all have come from uh, and how we're able to reach our destinations. You know, I've had to work my whole life very hard, you know, <laughs> as you have. Uh, and so and I'm not afraid of it. I love hard work. I was taught that. But there are some people in this world um, where the work does not have to be as hard because of who they are and what their name is. That's just kind of, and I'm not whining about it. That's just the way it works. You know, my kids are going to have an easier time than I had because, you know, dad and mom have worked hard and have a, achieved some level of success. So that's just how it works. But it was good for me to learn that then. So that if I was up, for example, I'll make this up, if I was up for a job and didn't get it, I wouldn't think I didn't get it because I'm no good. There are all kinds of reasons why you may lose out on something that you don't even know about. What do you want readers to take away from, besides just a great thrilling read and a tremendous story, from reading The Ancient Nine? I want readers to um, take away from it that, that there are all kinds of worlds out there um, that they are unaware of that exist 
and sometimes in a vacuum. And they're going to continue to exist that way. And I just didn't want we readers to have fun, to have a peek. I want to pull back the curtain so you can see inside. Like I, as I, And I want you to feel how I felt when I went through this as a kid who came from nothing on the other side of the tracks. I want you to feel that. And I describe, you know, the scenes and the, the geography of Harvard. One of the best compliments someone gave me was they said they, I felt like I was right there. On campus. I was on campus and I went into that room that you were in. And that's the biggest compliment to a, to a writer. Indeed it is. The book is The Ancient Nine. The author is the New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Ian K. Smith. It's always good to see you, my friend. Always good to see you. And follow me on Instagram at Dr. Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out. All right. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.